Hey everybody, it's Miranda. I am so excited to share today's episode with you. It's a bonus episode. I interview Jolie Abraham, who is a person I've known all my life, but for you, all you need to know is that she is a phenomenal human being and she is also a professional actress who has worked with many household names that you know, including, well, we're going to link it in the show notes, so you have to look at the show notes, and we talk about it a little bit in the episode. She has some great stories, especially when it comes to the work that she did with Mira Nair. She has worked with Pulitzer Prize winning playwrights. In fact, she's working with one right now at La Jolla in California. And without further ado, here is an interview and conversation with Jolie Abraham. I hope you enjoy. Hello there, Jilted Indian podcast listeners. This is Miranda, and I am speaking with Jolie Abraham. Hi, Jolie. Hi, Miranda. I am so excited to be speaking with you. I've known Jolie since probably before we could even conceive that we were friends. We lived across the alley from each other. I invited myself over a lot without permission. Um, sometimes sometimes we would actually lock the doors just to see if Miranda would get in, and she actually did always get in somehow. <laughs> <laughs> kind of freaky, but kind that of fun, never, too. That has never not been fun. I also rode my bike over her back once on accident. <laughs> and we're still friends. And we're still friends, exactly. All friends have their difficulties to get past. I mean, that could have been bad. I could have broken some ribs or something. You could have, but you were so excited to see Cece. I think we all were that we moved on. (laughs) Cece was my new cat. We were six or seven. We had a cat, and Jolie had a superior mode of transportation, and she plowed me over. (laughs) Plowed me over. Sorry. I still actually remember seeing it happen. Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We're not going to get past this interview. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I'm trying not to be the boring person who laughs and like the audience is like, what is happening? So I'm trying to stop my laughter. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I've known Jolie forever, but I want you all who are listening to know who Jolie is. So, Jolie, I want to start this interview out by asking you two questions. We always ask the people we interview two questions. And the first one is, what is your origin story? Okay. And Miranda explained that's kind of like the superhero origin story because I did not know what that meant. So I guess I was uh, um, I was actually born in New York because my parents were living here at the time. But soon after, they, they left as soon as I was born. So I was really raised in Dallas, Texas. And stayed there till high school graduation and then moved, went to school in North Carolina for acting. And then from there, I went straight to New York. And I've been in New York uh, City uh, for 16 years now. Yeah. That's awesome. And I remember the last time we were in New York together was for your wedding. I think it was three years ago. That's right. Which was four and a half years ago, actually. But that's okay. (laughs) 
don't take away that year of marriage I have gone through. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, my bad. It was a gorgeous wedding by the Brooklyn Bridge, and that was so much fun. I drank a lot. <laughs> yeah, we so, had a... We still talk about that night. We had such a great night. You should. It was a great party. And the people that were there were great people, too. You are an auntie. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Many children. Your family is still here. And you were here in town for a couple of months, playing a lead role in Frankenstein. That's right. I was doing and a it show. And so to see everybody. It was, oh, my God. It was, I was saying to people back when I got back to New York that it was like I was in a dream for two months because I didn't have I had a role that I had a really I had a lot of fun with but it I didn't have to carry the whole show so there was no stress really involved with it so Mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun on stage and then off stage I just was with my family and because I wasn't at rehearsal all the time they didn't need me as much I could just be at home with the kids and with my sister and my mom and dad. And it was the gr- one of the greatest blessings to have this time with them. And with all you guys, you know, these are friends of mine who I haven't seen, you know, sometimes I don't get to see them every time I come back to Dallas. And so we pick up where we left off and it really is like that. And I had like a group of 10 of them around me and I couldn't yeah. believe it. Like these many women who are married mostly and have kids and who, or, or if they're not married and have kids, have huge businesses they're running and lives they're leading who took their time out to like be with me you know and I just was like ah, I don't know it was just such a great blessing to have that especially before David and I you know go off to Ireland it's just like a great present I got. By the way listeners you are hearing Jolie's last few days in the United States before she heads off to Dublin. What I want to do next is ask you our second question which is what makes you a shitty Indian? Right. Um, so what makes me a shitty Indian, as you can already hear, is because I'm an actor. Right. <laughs> uh, so that's number one. And, you know, I got really good grades in school, and I was, you know, top 10%, blah, blah, blah. But the theater and the world of acting and films and TV, that's just a great passion for me. Um, the world of creating art in that way, in a performance art sort of way is. So I guess I'm a shitty in that way. And I guess I'm a shitty Indian because I I don't know, I guess in my opinion, because I speak my mind more than I guess maybe I was supposed to. I'm a little louder than I'm supposed to. My hair is really curly. Um, you know, things like that, I guess, make me sometimes well, feel like a shitty Indian. I don't feel like I always have to wear my gold jewelry. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't okay. go to church every Sunday. I don't know. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> First of all, what makes you shitty is that you wear your hair curly instead of throwing it out like the aunties do. So how dare you have nice looking hair? Now, you did do the Indian thing. We've had a lot of conversations about this. I was a super shitty Indian and I couldn't speak Malayalam. (laughs) And I wasn't even in Pratnatyam. Am I even saying that right? But not him. Wow, that wasn't even close. Uh, it was but close it was... <laughs> you were in dance. Um, you were in an Indian church. You participated in the culture. Yeah. And cheers. But you know what's so funny? Not to, um, and I don't mean like, no, I'm a shittier Indian than you are. It's not really about that. But I'm just, it's interesting because I hear totally what you're saying because in a way, you felt even more outside maybe the group is maybe what you were saying to me. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
and it, you know what's so interesting about that, and in my perspective, I feel like it was always one foot in, one foot out. You know, it's never at least two feet were out of the circle. It was always like straddling, which was very confusing for me. You are a Shakespearean actress. Well, I mean, yes, but, you know, I also do. I've also done many other types of work. So that's why I was like, oh, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a Shakespearean actress, but I've done a lot of Shakespeare plays. Cool. I'm just an actor. I just call myself an actor because I've, I've worked on new plays with writers like Jose Rivera, who wrote The Motorcycle Diaries. And then like Mira Nair, I helped workshop that monsoon wedding that was recently at Berkeley Rep. And those are like new plays. And then I've obviously done like some TV. So it's kind of just runs the gamut. And I've done commercials. You really have to be able to do many things as an actor. And you know, I can dance, but <clears throat> most of the other tool I had to use was singing. And I'm not really that strong of, of a singer. Like, I'm okay. I can get by. I mean, you know, I've been into musicals on Broadway, but like that was mostly like singing in a group. I didn't have to like belt out my solo at 11 o'clock. But that being said, I, I still needed to know how to like read music and sing. You got to kind of know how to do everything. The more styles you know, the more work you're going to get. Awesome. Yeah. In your experience, how welcoming are mediums like theater, musical theater, television acting, movie acting, how welcome are they toward diverse casting in your experience? Okay, in my experience, the New York theater scene has been lacking quite a bit because I think we presume that New York City is like the edgy, forward-thinking, progressive world of theater. And it's not to say, you know, you have huge up-and-coming playwrights and huge star playwrights creating new works all the time in New York. And sometimes they're great and sometimes they're not. It's risks you keep taking as artists, right? But what I found is in opportunities in New York where that role could have been cast as anything, it didn't have to go to a a Caucasian person. It's kind of just ends up going that way anyway, you know? And it really, I mean, this has been a big conversation in New York. Um, There's an organization called APAC, which is about the Asian American Alliance to you know, and, and it's not just like East Asian, it's South Asians are a part of that group as well. And it's kind of us taking tallies about how many actors of Asian community are on the New York stages and regionally and really having the stats to say there's more of us and there's not enough work, you know, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of plays that this is an ambiguous character as far as ethnicity goes. And it could be anything like let us let's populate this stage the way our landscape in New York City is. If it's a modern story taking place in New York, why not? Or even so many other cities around the country. I mean, you know, I was in Minneapolis a couple years ago, and that city has diversity. I mean, you know, not as much as New York City, but it still has some diversity there. And that's something that that theater town has been dealing with for a long time, too, with diversity. So I would say, for me, the theater scene in New York is lacking as far as diversity is concerned. And to me, the regions, and when I say that, I mean the big regional theaters like Dallas Theater Center, the Guthrie, um, La Jolla Playhouse, Berkeley Rep, those kind of big, and the Goodman Theater in Chicago, these houses are doing better, in my opinion, from the way I see it being cast and even me being cast in things that are not necessarily for a brown girl. So I think they're doing a bit more regionally, surprisingly enough. Now, that being said, regionally, they're not necessarily, I mean, they do edgy stuff. They are developing new plays all the time. And I I don't want to say only we in New York do, because that's absolutely not true. But I guess like, you know, the regions, their money comes from doing musicals and doing big classic shows. Right. 
So when you do that, you kind of have more leeway to bring in more diversity, you know? I think sometimes in New York, especially now, it's like, you know, you can't just be a journeyman actor in New York and get an off-Broadway gig anymore. Now you got to be, a, you know, a B-list TV star to get on an off-Broadway show. So it's kind of like even that's leaving the business. You know, that's even like out of our hands now. So that's kind of how I feel. And as far as TV and film is concerned, I think TV is the farthest out of any of these mediums that is really doing the best for diversity, in my opinion. And film, to me, is really, it's only like maybe in the last year. And even that's not like, they're not like mixed race movies necessarily, right? It's like a black movie or a white movie. Do you know? Or like a Latina movie or a Latino, you know, it's like it's, there's still not this hodgepodge of what this demographic of this country is really becoming, um, in my humble opinion, you know, it's like, I'm not Malcolm Gladwell. I don't have a bunch of stats right now. I'm just speaking from my own experience (laughs) and like what I've seen and like the friends I've talked to in the business. Like, that's what I think. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Something has been in the back of my mind the whole time you were talking When you told me about your experience working on Broadway in Bombay Dreams, could you tell us a little bit about what it was like being in Bombay Dreams and what was strange about the casting there? Sure. So Bombay Dreams was a a musical. The original one was in England on the West End, Mm -hmm. and it was a huge hit there. And so they reworked the script with Thomas Meehan, who was a famous musical book writer. He was the writer on The Producers, just one of his many works. He was a very, he's a very lovely man. Anyways, they reworked the script and they brought it to America and, you know, we cast it with American cast. It wasn't as big of a hit here. And I think part of that is because, I mean, England, Indians have been a part of their culture for a much longer time. So Uh there's a history with the Indian population and a history with their medium of Bollywood films. And so because of that, the satire that was the original Bombay Dreams, you know, the British white audience got it. It was a hit because it was fun. And like, so Indian people wanted to see themselves up there. And the Brits got the jokes. When it was brought over here to America, it was much more of a straight boy meets girl, slum boy meets rich girl love story. That's what it was. And so, you know, in 2004, like there were not many of us out here. There weren't as far as South Asian actors go. And then you needed South Asian actors who can sing, act, and dance. And I think, you know, I think they had a hard time casting. They auditioned all over the country, and they even auditioned in Canada, and I'm sure they auditioned in India and Britain maybe too. But I just know, like, half of our cast was not actually South Asian. So that was a little weird. You know, it was a little weird to us because there were things that we just know innately as Indians, even if you're from South India or you're from Punjab in the north part of India, like, there were gestures that we knew just as being desi, you know, right. that they didn't, they, they didn't. And we had to like show them, but it was so weird. Like, you know, like the head bob sort of thing that you're like, yes or no, maybe oh, you don't yeah. really know. But in the context of the situation, you exactly know what's being said, right? You know, you can't teach that. That's just something, you know, through like being around it all the time and learning the different meanings of each head bobble. And so, like, to show people how to do it, I was like, I don't, this is, a, this is like, absurd to me right now. So I think for me, the, the first half of doing that show, just to be honest, was kind of hard because I was trying to, I think, sync my, my heritage and my, my pride for my heritage with my art, which I also have pride and passion for. This is what I mean about straddling. I think this is, like, maybe one of the first instances I had of straddling both 
American sensibility and my Indian sensibility, you know, because I knew what they were doing. I knew they were trying to make it more Broadway, quote unquote. I just don't know if if that really ever worked or if there was another way to do that show that would have been more authentic, if that would have been better. I don't know because we don't have that time to do it over. So the first half, I was also 24 years old, okay? Like I was also very soon out of college, thought I knew everything in the fucking world and was, <laughs> you know, quickly humbled when I got into the real world. But, you know, so there's also that whole element. And was I made the most money that year than I had since, just to put it out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, fast forward to working with Mira Nair. Could you explain to everyone what doing a workshop means? Oh, okay. So doing a workshop means, and it depends on the type of workshop, too. There's different levels of workshops. But this one we had, basically what you're doing is they have a new piece of writing or theatrical piece. And in this case, it was a musical. And so you are, you know, when you're doing a musical theater workshop, most of that workshop is really about the music because really for a musical, it's about the music that carries the show. Right. So we were getting new songs all the time, you know, and parts were changing a lot and which was giving me a heart attack every, I mean, that was one of the most stressful situations I've ever been in because I'm not a singer. Like the way that most of those people in those, in that room were singers. I mean, they read music, they sight read music, they knew harmonies, like, like nothing, they heard it once and they could sing it. And then here I am, like, the, mu- the musical director was like, would look at me after like five times of like plunking out the same melody and look at me like, I don't understand how to help you. And I'm like, I don't know how to help you help me either. You know, we just like stare at each other like, what's happening? You know, but like, I got cast in the role, so I have to figure it out, you know? So right. thankfully, you know, Mira Nair liked my work just as an actor. I mean, she was very effusive in my audition and in my process with her also because she's a director and she knows that she needs to like, you know, cope and placate her actors to get work out of them. You know, she's not going to be a bitch. You know what I mean? At least (laughs) I didn't have that experience with her. She was great. And Sabrina, who was the book writer, who wrote the screenplay for Monsoon Wedding, she was in the room as well. They work really well together. The two of them were like, I don't know, it was really funny. It was like hanging out with the Indian girls in the playground. Like, I remember when I would go pick up my cousin in India when we'd be there for the summer and we'd pick her up. And it'd be like, watching her giggling with all her girlfriends and like I don't know it was just cool being with these like a little like my elders Indian female artists in that way right. and like giggling with them and because they're very youthful their spirit is very youthful you know and uh, and like they're creating all the time I think that's what creates that youthful energy because they're just always creating and throwing stuff out there and that was really fun to be around that and Mira knows exactly what she wants I mean when I was you know I obviously as an actor have my own interpretation and we'll try something. And she's like, no, it's, you know, it's like this. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, because it's also like a workshop. So there's not a lot of time, right? And it's just two weeks that, that this one was. Some are just a week. Some are just a few days. But this was two weeks. And, it, you know, there was a lot of musical changes. There were, there were scenes that were cut, that were added, that were cut all the time. You know, what I auditioned with didn't really make the final cut at the end of the workshop. You know, it then went on to have a life at Berkeley Rep. So I don't know what has happened since then. But so things are happening all the time. So it can, it can be a stressful situation in a workshop because what you're also hoping to do is do a presentation and then producers and investors come and they like what they see and they want to put money in the project. I mean, that's right. the end game. It can be stressful. And for me, it was just stressful because I'm just critical of my work and I just want to do my best all the time. So with the singing, 
you know, it causes me anxiety. It really does. This, it still does. That's just something I have to always get over if I'm working on a piece and I have to sing in it. Wow. So it did go through because I was under the impression that it didn't. You're saying it did. How long did it stay in the theater? Well, so it was part of their season. I think it was last summer. And I think it ran for like a month and a half because most regional theaters have a set run for their shows because they have other shows coming in all the time. So I think that was just uh, a month and a half. But what they're hoping to do is with the interest from that to eventually have like a Broadway run. Who knows if that'll happen? You know, you just never know with these things. Sometimes things happen immediately and sometimes things take for years. So, Well, that is a really freaking cool story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being authentic. I don't think people truly understand how diverse you have to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some people really do think that acting is all you have to be able to do. Yeah. And it's just not. May I ask you about the representation on that show? How did they do as opposed to, say, Bombay Dreams? Oh, they did so much better, you know. But you have to also keep in mind, our creative team for Bombay Dreams was half white, was half British white people. And then the other half were Indian. But in Monsoon Wedding, the entire creative team was Indian. And it's Mira and Sabrina's story. I mean, they created the film, you know what I mean? So it's like they're the... They're the, you know, the royalty there who are deciding what goes, what stays for the most part. There were some on the creative team who were American, white, whatever, as far as I could tell. But as far as the cast goes, um, every one of us, as far as I knew, were of South Asian descent. Yeah. So that could mean there were, I think there was someone, there might have been someone from Pakistan, there might have been Parsi people. were You know, so it's like, we're all such hodgepodges of so many things, but South Asian, definitely Mira wanted that. She worked with me a lot on getting my Hindi. Like sometimes I had to say beta. You know, and the way I was saying it wasn't exactly Punjabi right. So she would constantly tell me it's, and she'd constantly say, beta, beta. And I, I, you know, so she wanted it as authentic as possible. And, you know, in my audition, again, because she's a director and she's making an actor feel better. But, you know, (laughs) she said, I, you know, if I could change this to a Kerala girl, I would, but I can't. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, okay, you know, that's fine. You don't need to change it. So I'm Kerala, you know, because she really liked me. So she was like, if I could make her from Kerala, I would, you know. But, I was like, you don't need to do that. You know, I can get my accent better, like whatever, you know. (laughs) So um, it was cool, though. Like, I appreciate that. You know, even if actors, I mean, I think artists, not just actors, artists need validation. I think that's a lot of times what people get into it. But hopefully sooner or later, you don't need validation. You just need, like, confirmation that you're on the right track sometimes is all you need. Right. Instruction or interpretation. Yeah. Do you know Mira Nair's work? I mean, are you telling uh, me to follow? Uh, we did an episode earlier this season where I watched Monsoon Wedding with Anju and Pooja. Oh, like, oh, so was it like a commentary while you watched it? We totally should do that because it was hilarious. There were just these very Indian moments and we would go, oh, that's so Indian. We would do that lip smack sound like, and that's Indian in itself. We did talk about the namesake as well as Monsoon Wedding. We talked about other movies that she's done like Mississippi Masala, Vanity Fair, and others. We are Mira and I are fans, and that is so cool to hear you talk about your experience with her. 
may I ask you what your absolute favorite work is that you have done as an actress? You know what I thought? It was, you should really ask these questions to just people. Like, these are just good questions to ask human beings. I just was kind of going through my roster of the shows that affected me in some way. And I just realized I've had so many, even even the few, very few shows. And there have only been a few projects in my life, not just plays, but just any TV experience, whatever, where it was really difficult or hard in the moment and it was sometimes even just gave me a little PTSD to be perfectly honest afterwards but I learned so much from it and I was getting through it and the way I did it with quite a bit of integrity I was very surprised at myself and proud of myself and anyway so just to say these are really good questions that you have Miranda and I think um, I really appreciated you asking me to do that because it really made me kind of take a reflection of my career that being said the two that just come out at me immediately just because they're the most recent things I did was I did a new adaptation of Sense and Sensibility that the Guthrie did back in 2016, fall of 2016. And that was a version that this woman did. She's an actor and she became a playwright and she's also, she's still an actress, but she became a playwright because she wanted to make work for herself and she has blown up. This version that she wrote had two sold-out runs off-Broadway in New York. She did another new piece for the theater company I used to work for in New York off-Broadway. She's just working all the time. It's, it's a wonderful story, and she's a lovely person. I've met her. We did her play in the Guthrie, and we didn't do it the way they did in New York. In New York, it was like a trunk show where it was like six actors doing all the roles and like people like being rolled in on chairs. It was kind of like wackadoodle, you know, but that's what made it so charming. Right. And ours which was a much more straightforward version. Now, like, you know, this is the Guthrie. This is like the one of the biggest theaters in the, you know, west west of America, really. Um and um has a great um huge theatrical history. And so I was really proud to be there. And I was playing Eleanor, which is if you've seen the movie, the Ang Lee masterpiece in my opinion um with um kate winslet and emma thompson it's the emma thompson role and you know that movie when i saw it when it came out it was it really affected me i just thought it was just a beautifully done movie and emma thompson's portrayal and just that character really stuck with me and so just to be able to get to do it was like unbelievable because i was like really oh okay i wasn't even like oh my god i have to get this because (laughs) i was actually in ireland when they first asked me to audition i was like i'm gonna be in ireland can't do it sorry bye so i went to ireland with my husband came back after a couple weeks and then we went to california for a wedding and my agent calls me he's like hey look they didn't find anybody they want to know if you'd audition i'm like well i'm in california he's like well can you put yourself on tape and i'm like which means my phone and so I was like, oh, <laughs> God. You know, so I was like, I still don't want to do this. I'm on my girlfriend's, like, farm in California, you know, with her new baby. And, you know, I just want to relax. Your girlfriend doesn't just have a recording studio in one of the barns or anything like that. All I ever record on is on my phone anyways. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was just, but it was just like, oh, I don't want to do this. So I was like, whatever. I can't say no until I read the script. So I'm like, let me read this and then reject it. You know what I mean? Because I just suspected it would be, like, stupid. Like another like, oh, old timey, aristocratic slash gentry white people trying to get up in the world. You know what I mean? Right. And then I read it and I was like, this is so beautiful and a lot of, and funny, you know, just heartbreaking, just like the the story is really. And, um, and I never read any Jane Austen. Like she wasn't a novelist I gravitated towards, but 
What right. Kate Hamill did, does with the script is it moves really fast and she puts a lot of punch in just like a few words and it's beautiful. And, and in my opinion, that's like the funnest thing as an actor to do because there's so much freedom and yet she created this structure that you know where this character needs to go, you know. And anyway, so it's like playing, really. Anyway, so I was like, okay, fine, I'll audition. And my girlfriend, who was in acting school with me, was my reader and she gave me one of her blouses and I like pulled my hair up you know, put some lipstick on and we did it in her bathroom because that got the best light, apparently. (laughs) So, yeah, and then I got the role. They cast me off tape, which that's like happened to me maybe one other time in my life, but I was like, okay. So, you know, I didn't think anything of it except like, okay, this is like a really good paycheck for three months. It was a really long gig. It's three months. Minneapolis, I don't know what Minneapolis is like. God, it sounds really boring, but like whatever, it's a good paycheck and it's a good play. I went out there and long story short, because I'm rambling, it was the first time I ever got to carry a show in that way. Like I've had leads, you know, I've played Hermione in Winter's Tale, I've played Ophelia, you know, I've played, did No Exit. When you're in No Exit, you're in the play the whole time. You know, I've done plenty of plays where I had a lead role, but I don't think I can ever recall yet having a role where I literally carried the show. I was in every scene. I went off stage once for a minute for this like interpretive dance thing to happen so my sister could fall ill and then I came running back on with like a bowl of water and a towel for her hair. That was the one time I left stage and it was, I don't think I realized it until we had done a couple of run-throughs and I'm like, oh my God, I never leave the stage and it was crazy. I didn't know if I could do it and I did and I was really proud of myself and I'm like, I did and I did it well. Yeah. So that was one thing. And the only other proud moment I want to share is um, I did the show at Manhattan Theater Club called Cost of Living. It was a new play, and the role I was playing was a first-generation immigrant. And first-generation meant, uh, or immigrant meant from anywhere. So the writer kind of left it open. There's a phone call that I have to do um, towards the end of the show after my character has gone through a lot of emotional challenges. And her life is just really hard because she's, alone. Her mother went back to the old country and she's alone in Jersey trying to make it. I have this phone call I have to make to my mom. And after all this like stuff has happened to me and I call her and she doesn't answer. And so I'm leaving a voicemail and I got to do it in Malayalam. That is so cool. Because the writer, yeah, because she was, she was like, you know, do you have a second language? I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I'm not as fluent as, as I would like to be, but you know, I can speak this other language, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, okay, can you translate it? And I was like, well, my mom could. And so my mom and I worked on it. And she, she like, because she's like, whoever's doing that role, if they speak Spanish, she wants them to do it in Spanish. If they speak Polish, she wants them to do it in Polish, you know, like, which is what's so amazing about this writer, Martina Mayok. Watch out for the name because she's blowing up. Um, but cool. anyway, she, um, yeah, so I, I uh, did the whole scene in Malayalam and it was, really a proud moment, even though nobody in that audience probably understood a word I was saying. But I know there were probably a couple of Indians who did, and they, Indians who knew, that's an Indian language, I think. You know what I mean? I didn't realize it was a proud moment until you asked that question, and I thought about it, and I was like, that was a proud moment. When I'm having that scene, I'm not thinking about being a proud Malayali girl doing right. this role, oh, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking about my mom and the heartache I'm going through, and but what's cool is like it's one of the top theaters in the country and it was a four person show and I carried a fourth of that show and I'm just an Indian girl, you know, and it didn't have anything to me with being being Indian to do that. 
and to rep was like really cool. So yeah. That is so cool. What a great story. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, you and I have had many conversations as far as how our unique individual stories or upbringing has shaped the way that we have been able to participate in our art, how it created our blocks and even how it created our triumphs in a very, very weird way. I wanted to ask you, what do you feel is the most important thing that you've learned from knowing and owning your story in terms of your participating in acting? Well, I'll start with saying that I don't know, nor do I yet own my story, to be perfectly honest. Um, and in, I don't in mean process. that. Yes, very much so in process. I think there is a great resilience that we had in our community growing up because our parents came here on their own with, you know, this as their second language and people probably, you know, not being very accepting of them and working really hard and being very lonely. And it's really hard when I really think about it, like how difficult they had it. So what they were able to accomplish for themselves, even though for them that manifested mostly in material items, um, right. sometimes with like a house and a car and sending your kid to that college and your kid is a doctor or an engineer or something like that. I know it came from a place of great pride for what they did. And I think with that pride, I learned a lot about strength and resilience and hard work. So I was never beat with the idea that you have to work hard to make it in this country. If that wasn't beat over my head, I don't think I'd still be an actor because it's so hard. And for being a South Asian female actor, it is really hard. And you know, there are people who have it harder than me. I get it. But it's not for the faint of heart. The irony of what I do is it's all heart. When I do my best work is when I am giving all my heart and accepting with all my heart what is given to me via my audience, via the other actors on stage with me, via my director, when I am open. But when you're that open, you're easily bruised. So that's why for me, I couldn't own my story or know my story because growing up, I think I had to defend a lot of my choices. Oh my God. Yes. Right. Like we talked about that. We just didn't fit in exactly. And instead of owning it, we couldn't own it when you're a child because you don't know how to own anything at that point, you know, and we didn't necessarily have the strongest role models in how to do that because I think they were just trying to fit in, in their own way. And they came from their own, childhood stuff too. I think I'm grateful for my sister who was that person who made sure that I was seen, you know, and like, I think because of that, I have been able to now at this point in my life, come to a new understanding of who I would like to be, rather than the defense mechanisms I created myself for a really long time. Yeah, Um, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. You and I have these conversations about what it is to be an Indian artist and how complicated it can be. How complicated it can be bringing authenticity to whatever we do. Yeah. I wanted to ask you that question about owning your story because it's a very important part of bringing your art to the stage and bringing your art to whatever venue and whatever idiom that you practice. 
people out there, like we have young people who listen to our podcast. If any of them were considering going into the arts, I would want them to know this stuff. You know, I will say this. I think you blossomed before me as someone who was really getting into her art. And even though we were the same age and we were doing the same thing, we were getting our degrees in the arts. I have always looked to you as someone who is willing to see things as they are versus clinging to an ideology, clinging to preconception. I remember you and I would get into fights over the shit I was clinging to. And I've always looked up to you as a human being. Not just as an artist. And I'm really proud of you. Getting to see you act in Frankenstein was amazing. It was not only amazing to see you act like you do. It took me a while to process that you are acting. Like when I saw you on that episode of Sex in the City or when I saw you on Stay with Ryan Gosling, I was like, why is she acting like that? Jolie doesn't act like that. What is she doing? I had to cognitively realize that you were acting. You were doing it so well that I had to remind myself that like, wait, she's she's not like that. It's weird. Why she sound like that? Yeah, why is she doing that? (laughs) I am and always have been so proud to see you do your thing. And I felt like your story was a story that needed to be shared. And I'm so happy and grateful that you took the time to share with us a little bit of your story, sharing with us what you do and sharing all of the inside information that we just don't know anything about because we're not in it like you are, especially regarding representation because it is so important. And we think people ought to know how far along we've come and how far we have to go. So your perspective is very important to me. I just want to thank you so much. And I'm so grateful to having been a part of your amazing platform that you and the other ladies, Andrew and Pooja and, and Shamila, and I don't know Shamila's name because we all went to high school together yeah. and her input in your shows. And I think you guys are starting something really interesting and really brave, like the things you guys have said. And I'm very honored to be a part of it. And I just, one last thing I think I'd just like to add, if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Just thinking about, like, I think one of your first questions was about, you know, how are you a shitty Indian? And I'm getting maybe a little artsy-fartsy here sometimes. I go there because I am an actor. But, (laughs) you know, I I was just thinking, I've also been a shitty Indian because I didn't, and I'm still owning my story of what it is to be an Indian. So I haven't been the role model to myself or to my cousins or to the other Indian girls and boys who I see every now and then when I go to Dallas or when I'm in New York. I haven't been that the greatest I could be. And I, of course, I'm more than an Indian, but to be like, I can be all these things that people tell me is not enough or too much and be Indian. That's what it is. That's just is because I am here. And I'm speaking, you know what I mean? It's like the right to be, you know, and like, so like in a way, I just, I, maybe I just want to say it aloud for myself, but like, that's me being a shitty Indian. I'm not being like, Hey, this is what it means to be Indian too. Take it or leave it. You know what I mean? On top of getting to interview you today, I am grateful for your friendship. You know, not all friends stay in each other's lives. No, they don't. But you know what? You stayed in mine. That's right. We did. There was a reason. There is a reason. 
out of all of the people who have ever ridden over me with a bike. <laughs> oh, I'll do I it any imagine. day. I will do it oh. any day. <laughs> if anyone else rode over me with a bike, I would not still be friends with them today. You. Yeah. And I will cut you if you do, okay? <laughs> I will cut you if you try and run her over. <laughs> I love that. How fierce. So thank you so much for being on the show. If you are listening, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please rate us and leave comments. It helps others find our podcast. We need to find all the shitty Indians, of course. With that said, this has been Miranda. And this is Jolie. With the Jilted Indian Podcast. Be sure to come with love and courage every single day. And go in peace and power.